here at Jericho that we respond to God is just through prayer. And so if you've come and you would like someone to pray for you today, always at the end of our gatherings, in our singing response, we have people that are available at the sides and at the back, and they would love to pray for you. And so uh, make sure that if, if you feel like that's something you'd like to take advantage of today, uh, you don't need to just wait. Uh, just move right away to the back and to the sides after our teaching time and when we begin to sing, and we'd love to pray for you. I'll be at the back and some of our other team members as well. Well, uh, this week, Pastor Wally and I uh, have been at our National Denominational Conference. And so uh, last week, I was thinking, my word, this is going to be a really, really tricky week to try and navigate and, and move into our series on Revelation. You know, I wonder what my options are in terms of prepping well, but being out of the office for the whole week. And uh, Ron and I were having coffee, and Ron said, you know who you should ask? You should ask Sandy Young. You know, Sandy uh, spoke in our teaching series, yeah, and I like calling Sandy, uh, when I talk to other people about Sandy, I call Sandy our CEO here at Jericho, and the reason he's our CEO is CEO for me stands for Chief Encouragement Officer, because Sandy uh, has a gift of encouragement, Muriel has a gift of hospitality, and they exercise them so well and so regularly. And so, that, you know, in this series on Revelation, one of the great gifts is Revelation is a book of encouragement to us. But sometimes we get it that it feels heavy. And so that we need to have Sandy come and remind us about some of the content and the context. So he's going to just step out of the actual text of Revelation, but continue really in this sense of theme, in this sense of encouragement about the big picture for us. So Sandy, would you come and speak to us? Let me pray for you. And uh, we want to be ready to open our hearts uh, to hear what it is that God wants to say to us uh, through you this morning. So let's pray. God, we're grateful for the people that you bring into the life of this community. We trust you to that end, that you have always provided the right people in the right moments for the challenges and the opportunities that we face as a church. And so, God, I thank you that you've brought Sandy and Muriel from Ontario to this place at this time in our life together. We believe that that's not by an accident. That's by your divine hand bringing them here, Lord. And we thank you for the way in which they so faithfully exercise the gifts that you have given to them in ways that honor you and strengthen and build us up as a community. And so, Lord, we pray for them. We pray that the, the gifts that you've given to them would be continuously fanned into flame, that you'd strengthen and nurture their gifts of evangelism. Thank you for the small group that they host in their complex, the way in which they uh, speak to people about uh, what it means to be faithful to you on an ongoing basis. And so, God, we pray that this would challenge us, even in this place today, uh, from your word. And we give all of the honor and glory to you, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Alexander. Thanks, Brad. Welcome back to, uh, to the church, Brad and Wally. And Mike, were you at the conference? I don't know if Mike was there. But anyway, these conferences are wonderful. I don't get to them much more. But I can hear about them. I want to introduce to you our family. Our son, Alistair, and his wife, Elisa, are here with their three children, Eden, age six. 
Eden, age six, Sawyer, age two, almost two, and then little Zion, Ava, two and a half months. Glad you're here. God bless you. The bigger picture is what we're looking at this morning, and I'm looking at First and Second Peter. The first text is from Second Peter 3, verses 11 and 12. The second one is First Peter 4, 7 and 8. Short texts, but they pack a punch. They pack a punch. Peter says, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-centered, self-controlled. No, it's not self-centered, is it? Self-controlled. I just wanted to see if you could catch that. Self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Um, when uh, Brad asked me to preach, uh, a pastor always has a, a sermon up his sleeve, but you've got to look at it and revise it and, and make it more current. He said, why don't you carry on in the Revelation series? I said, Brad, I wouldn't do the job you're doing on Revelation. I'll leave that with you. So we'll leave it to our pastor in his capable way. But this is the bigger picture. The bigger picture. I've been looking around at the world. I look south of the border and I see a, a president whom I would call spontaneous. He's an interesting man. I look at North Korea and I see something festering there. I see winds and hurricanes and floods and earthquakes. And I see tens of thousands of people streaming across countries, leaving their countries because they're being kicked out. They're refugees. I see starvation and hunger and desperation. I see a third of Canadians unable to retire because they don't have money to do it. I know men who are working, 75, 77 years of age, friends of mine are working because they can't afford to re retire. And I'm thinking that if we fastened our eyes on these world events, it could be scary, couldn't it? But because we have the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not. It is not. He's in control. But I want to ask you a question. This is a geographical question. What is the most dangerous place on earth today, the most dangerous geographical location here in this world. Anyone know? It's a park, isn't it? It's called Yellowstone National Park. It's 700 miles or 1,100 kilometers southeast of here in the northwestern part of the state of Wyoming. And underneath Yellowstone National Park, scientists tell us there's a supervolcano that's going to blow one day. It's made up of three magma chambers on top of this volcano. Three magma chambers, chambers uh, containing molten rock in the molten state, and it's expanding and contracting. And there's a lot of power beneath. And when that top magma chamber blows, there's going to be a chain reaction, and the whole thing will blow. And you know what's going to happen? 20 of the 50 American states are going to be partly destroyed. 20 of the 50 American states. A third to a half of agricultural land in the states will not be able to produce any food. The loss of human life will be incalculable when this thing blows. And scientists tell us that every day it's inching closer. They don't know when it's coming. 
And then, of course, there's the San Andreas Fault. We could add that, it's California coast, moving up our way. How are we to process all this? It, it, could, it could frighten you. We're to look at the bigger picture. We're to look up because God has a program. And you and I are part of God's program. And we've got to look beyond the immediate into what God is doing and take comfort in that because it's all right. I am comforted. I feel secure. Like you, I, and, I, and I, I, we don't know when those things are going to happen. But we need to look at that bigger picture. And I'm going to add this. I sincerely believe that it's too late for us to do anything for this world outside of with God's help. That's our last hope, is to trust in the Lord and to be equipped to, to work for Him and live for Him in this day. What shall we do then? The Apostle Peter tells us. He says in 2 Peter 3.11, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people should we be? He doesn't talking about building up our bank accounts. He doesn't talk about uh, building a bomb shelter finding a piece of land away from everything where nothing can happen to you, or trusting in the League of Nations or the American Armed Forces. He doesn't talk about that. He talks about a way of living. How are we supposed to live? And that is what God is looking at. God is looking at how Sandy Young is living out his faith. Not just talking the faith. I can talk it. But to live it, that's the test, isn't it? But with the Holy Spirit's help, you and I can live it. But that's what God's looking at. He's looking at lifestyle, at human morality, the way we live out our faith, what we put our trust in. And then Peter goes on and is more specific. You ought to live holy and godly lives. And that's always what God is looking at, isn't it? What do we like on the inside? Uh, we've got a men's fellowship every morning. Alistair's part of that. Every Wednesday morning, quarter to seven, we gather in a little upstairs office in Langley, 10 men. We talk about God and we pray and we look up Bible verses and we encourage each other. I call it the brotherhood. It's a great meeting. That's one of the things that helped me come out west next to being with my family. That brotherhood is precious. And one of the guys was missing for several weeks. I'm going to call him Fred. And I decided to phone him. I said, Fred, how are you these days? He says, oh, I'm busy, Sandy. He says, I'm tired. He's getting on in years. I think he's in his 60s. He works in the movie industry. Not, not to put anyone down, but okay. 60s to me is young, by the way. But he's in the movie industry. And he's, he was a stuntman. Now he teaches and provides for the stuntman in these action movies in and around Vancouver. And he said, recently we're working with a Black Hawk helicopter. Guys jumping out of this helicopter as you make a movie. And it's my job to look after them to make sure they don't get hurt. I said, you must be exhausted with all this. He says, I am. But I said, Fred, listen, we've been missing you. How are you doing spiritually? How are you? He says, you know what I'm doing these days? I'm looking up Bible verses that talk about personal holiness. Wow. I, I talked to a lot of men in the group and out and around the neighborhood. There are very few men, when I talk about the things of God, they bring up personal holiness. Is this archaic? Is this super spiritual? No, it's how we should walk, isn't it? What is holiness? Holiness is a willingness to consecrate one's life for God's purposes. 
and without neglecting one's family responsibilities and other necessary responsibilities. Now, we could be very spiritual. We could put a white robe on and we could take our Bibles and go up on Grouse Mountain and, and leave our families because that's not as spiritual as being alone with God and we could neglect the main thing. Balanced holiness means that you're getting close to God and you're living with Him and at the same time, you're looking after your wives and your families and your kids and your job. You're doing the best you can. It's a lot, isn't it? But that's called balanced holiness. That's what God wants. I should have asked my, tele my friend on the telephone, Fred, uh, how are you doing in your search for holiness? How are you managing? I didn't ask him. I should have. But it's very clear, isn't it? 1 Peter 1.15. Just as he who called you is holy, be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. Hebrews 12. Make every effort to live in peace with all men and be holy. For without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Matthew 5, 8. That's the, the Beatitudes. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to be pure in heart. I may look okay from the outside, but what am I on the inside? What are you? That's what we've got to let the Holy Spirit fixate on in our lives. We've got to work on that. We've got to see that we're making progress. Amen? I want to see progress in Sandy Young. I want to see progress, and I know you do too. Trying to live a life pleasing to God, if you're doing that, then be encouraged. Because in Second Chronicles it says, For the eyes of the Lord range throughout the whole earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. How close are you to being fully committed to God? How close am I? Well, you know, I'm a little better than last year. Well, that's progress, isn't it? We want to see progress. Are you fully committed? That's holiness. That's a high calling, isn't it? For some people, it seems it's too much. But I'll tell you one thing. If you're a real Christian, if you're born again and you have the Holy Spirit working in your life, nothing else will satisfy you unless you're committed. You'll always think, oh gosh, there's always this kind of a dead spot in my life. And I wonder what will happen on Monday. You're not able to live out each full day because there's something missing. Maybe it's holiness. Then he goes on, since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. Anything else? As you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming... Looking forward to the day of Christ. That could be scary. I know one man who's a Christian. He hates the book of Revelation. He wouldn't want to be here when, when uh, Pastor Brad and Wally are speaking. He says, I don't like that. I never asked him why. Perhaps I should have. It's scary. It's a little unsettling when you see of all these things happening. The big picture. God's idea. He's building a people. He's building a wife for his son. A bride for Jesus. And you and I are part of that. You and I are part of God's family. This is the most exciting thing in the world to think of that. The world has it all wrong. The big picture today, you know what it is? It's the trip to Mars. The other day I opened a, a Life magazine, or some kind of magazine, and here was Buzz Aldrin, second man on the moon, 1969, with his hands up in the air. I thought, is he praising the Lord? 
He was 85 years old. No, he wasn't. He was excited because we're going to Mars in 2030. And they're working to that. People are working and building rockets and spending billions of dollars experimentally to go to Mars. That's exciting to me as an amateur astronomer, and I'll tell you, it's not, it's not my ticket. No, it isn't. I'm not going to Mars. I don't want to go to Mars. Our job is to live it out here. Our job is to be a part of the biggest thing happening in the world today. We're to look forward to the day of God and to speed its coming. Now, the question is, how can we adjust God's eschatological timetable? Can we speed things up and make the Lord's coming quicker? No. That's metaphorical, but it means something. It's saying that if we have, have a joy and a happy anticipation in looking to His coming, if our lives are right, then it's going to be the most exciting thing in the world. The Holy Spirit seemingly wanted to keep the early church in a state of readiness. And so the thought was, He's coming. He's coming soon. If they said, He's coming in a couple of millennia, well, people wouldn't have been very excited about that. They wouldn't have been ready. We've got to be ready. Secondly, our lifetimes. Our lifetimes, we could pass on any time. And when we die, that's the coming of the Lord. He comes for us. It's all over for us in this world, isn't it? So there's a sense of anticipation and readiness that we need. And the key is to be serving. Serving God. Witnessing. I try and witness every day. I, try and, I don't lead someone to Christ every day. No, I don't. But I try and share every day if I can. Sharing the gospel. Encouraging fellow believers. Praying. Keeping ourselves pure. Keeping ourselves as good listeners. That's one thing that, that we all need to improve on is listening. My wife and I are out sometimes and we meet a lot of people and have coffee with them. And I said, Muriel, did you notice that that Jean, that guy's wife, actually asked us a question about our past? Yes, she did. Most people talk, 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 talk. And they don't say, hey, what are your hobbies and interests? And when you do that, you get in on their lives. And they feel that you're listening to them. And that's what we need to work on. That's serving. Henry Stanley went from England to find Dr. John Livingston, Dr. David Livingston in Africa, the great missionary who spent 30 years in darkest Africa. And when Henry finally found him, when Stanley finally found him in Africa, he said, Dr. Livingston, won't you come back to England with me? We're waiting to hear from you. There's been no connection through the newspapers between you and your home country. Come back to England, to Scotland. And uh, Livingston said, no, I can't. I can't. I've got work to do here in darkest Africa. And here's what he wrote in his diary. March 19th, my birthday. My Jesus, my King, my life, my all, I again dedicate my whole self to you. Accept me and grant, O gracious Father, that before the year is gone, I may finish my work. In Jesus' name I ask it. Amen. A year later, his servants went to his little cottage where he lived. And they found him on his knees, dead. He died that year. His work was finished. Now, I don't know if, if your call is to go to Africa. Ours is Russia. My wife and I have worked in and out of Russia for years. Prayers, gifting, and visiting, and teaching, and so on. That's our country, okay? Yours may be India, maybe Africa. 
It may be Guatemala. That's wonderful. But there's another country that God wants you to work in and on, and that's the country of your heart. It's easy to go to Africa and say, you know, I, I saw Tanzania. I'm not, I'm not putting Brad down. That's wonderful. He's got the courage to go there, you know. But, but, but it's, the, it's the, the land, the geography of our hearts that God is looking at and that he wants us to really make headway in. Dr. Livingston wouldn't come. He wouldn't come back. I remember hearing about one man who had a rather casual view of the Christian life. Maybe this is a little too common, I don't know. But this man put it this way regarding the way we live. He said, your Christian life is like your home. It's fine enough as long as it looks good from the road. Oh, no, no, no. God is closer to your heart than the road. No, no. You can't be. You're not satisfied with that, are you? Well, as long as I look good... No one's perfect. I've heard that so many times. That's not good enough for me. That's not good enough for me anymore. It used to be. It's not good enough. You know, as you get older, I'm 76. This is marvelous. The 70s are wonderful. I might live to be 100. I don't know. I hope so. But these are wonderful years. And we want to make sure that we look good in God's sight. In God's sight. And that that's real. God is closer than the road. Then we hear from Peter again, 1 Peter 4, 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. See here, Peter is talking about the bigger picture. The end of all things is coming. But wait a minute. Peter writes this letter to the church. That's 2,000 years ago, isn't it? How does he mean all things is near? Well, again, the Holy Spirit is keeping the church in that steady state of anticipation. We need to be ready. And the end of all things is near concerning our life because our life will be over and we can't do any more for the Lord down here, can we? What kind of people should we be? Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Don't let your prayer life be weakened or squandered because you're fuzzy in your relationship with God. How are things between you and God? Oh, pretty good. Not bad. You know, I'm I'm lumping along. Uh, Is that good enough? A fuzzy relationship with God. Clear-minded touches on intelligence. And the true intelligence is people who know the Word of God and act on that. Self-control enables us to say no to certain things and yes to the right things. We've got to remember that. Some people have left their prayer time because they can't control their thoughts. They're all over the place. Oh, well, if I pray five minutes, that's fine. It may be fine for now, but it it won't bring you through the dark, deep times. Five minutes isn't good enough. Some people feel that they can't really get down to pray. They've got to break through, as it were. I find it takes me five minutes to break through, really, at times. But my solution is, use the scriptures. It's an arrow. If I'm having a tough time in prayer, I I need some perspective. And I'll, I'll just close my eyes and I'll say, Now, Lord, ah, yes, my soul finds rest in God alone. My salvation comes from him. He is my rock and my fortress. I shall not be shaken. And as I say those words, I'm breaking through. 
because I'm approaching God by means of his word and it wakens me up. It gives me perspective. You ever tried that? Praying his word. Wally and Sylvia know what that's like. They're nodding. When you really love someone, we're talking about love covering a multitude of sins. When you really love someone, you worked it out already that if they hurt you or insult you or ignore you or do something that is displeasing, you're ready to forgive. Forgiveness is big. Okay, she did that to me or he did that or I was overlooked. That's all right. I forgive. You're ready to forgive. It's the release of any desire to hold anything against a person. It's the way God feels about us. I love this little story. It's a true story. A little boy named Tommy was about, oh, 9, 10, 11. He'd go and visit his grandma. And his grandmother had a big two-story house with a banister and upstairs and an attic, things that kids love. And he'd go about every month and visit his grandma. And she'd say, go and sit in the front room, uh, Tommy, and I'm going to bring you some chocolate chip cookies and a glass of milk. And he'd sit there in the front room and he'd look up at the wall opposite him and there was a plaque on the wall and it had a kind of a, to him, a foreboding message. Thou God seest me. And he'd look at that plaque and he'd think, oh, I better be good today. Especially I'm with grandma and then God's watching me. <laughs> so when grandma came in with the cookies and the milk, she said, Tommy, I see you're looking at the plaque. Now, you might be thinking that God is looking at you writing everything down you do that's wrong so he can smack you. Is that what you're thinking? And he sometimes thought that. She says, don't think that way at all. That is not how God feels about you. God is watching you all the time. And, and this are the words. He's not judging you. He's looking at you all the time because he can't take his eyes off you. He loves you so much he can't take his eyes off you. Wow. That releases me, doesn't it? Because I do bad things. And I think bad things. And I go to my priest, my high priest, and I confess it. And God loves me. We all hurt the Lord, grieve the Holy Spirit. But we can also say we're sorry. I've signed up with a group called M2W2, and I'm going to be visiting a prisoner once a month. Alistair worked with them. He knows what that's about. I don't know what guy God is going to give me. Uh, I, I don't know. I hope it's someone who likes astronomy and Things like that may not be. But I'm praying that, that I'll be connected with the prisoner that, that will work. I'll be a blessing to him. A blessing to this man. And my job is to go in and to listen to that guy. And to be a friend. Not a judge. You know something? As I go in and represent that guy, it's scary because I represent God. I represent Jesus. <laughs> I hope he sees Jesus in me, you know. That's our idea, isn't it? Our little granddaughter, Eden, and, and she's, she's here. I'm Eden, I'm talking about you. I hope you don't mind. My little granddaughter, Eden, likes a story. He comes, she comes to the house and sits up on my lap and says, Grandpa, tell me a story. So I have all these silly stories that uh, she knows backward. And sometimes, just to have a bit of fun with her and tease her, I'll put a little angle in the story that's not quite true, not, not quite as it should be. And she'll say, Grandpa... That's the wrong part of it. No, sometimes that, that, that's not good. And she gets a little bit uh, annoyed with me. Well, I did it again um, two weeks ago. And finally, she looked at me. And she said, Grandpa, sometimes you're quite annoying. <laughs> uh, now, I would never have lived through that had I said that to my grandparents. <laughs> sometimes you're quite annoying. 
And I, I looked shocked and surprised, and I said, Eden, does that mean you don't love me anymore? She said, oh, no, no, Grandpa, not that. It's just the stories, you know. <laughs> you see why that's so solid? We've got a relationship. We've got a relationship. We love each other. We're close to each other. She trusts me, and I, I love her. And we have that kind of relationship with God. He's not clapping down on you and going to bring up all these things against you at the end. He's paid for those. Paid for those already. He loves us. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Some sins are serious, aren't they? A multitude of sins. The Greek word for multitude is plethos. Plethos. Can you get an English word out of that, anyone? Plethora. That's a rare word. Good work. A plethora. An overabundance, an excess. I talked to somebody and I said, uh, uh, Bob, how was your week last week? He says, oh, I had a plethora of difficulties. You don't often hear that, but it just talks about an overabundance. And that's what we've been forgiven. That's what I've been forgiven. I once committed murder. I killed a woman. <gasps> Pastor, you did. She's about 75 years of age in my first church. She betrayed me behind the scenes. She did things that, that were not right. She kept things from me as pastor. And I went home to my wife and I said, I could put my, my hands around that old neck and wring it. I was furious. Now, I wouldn't have literally killed her, but my thoughts were there. Murderous intentions. What I did was I confessed it to the Lord and I was still just shaking. Now, let's realize we're human. We've got to deal with our human instincts too. We confess things to God. We make that right with Him. I didn't go to the lady because I never, I never harmed her. But I went down into the church basement and I found an old chair that was partly broken and I smashed it to pieces. Just smashed it to pieces. And that released me of this, this energy, this rage. I didn't hurt anyone. It was a useless chair. <laughs> I confessed it to God. I told my wife what I had done and I'm okay. But I know what murder is. And I know if I visit a prisoner and find out eventually if he shares with me he's murdered someone, I'll say, do you want to talk about it? Because I have to. I know what it's like. They just didn't catch me. God caught me. Oh boy. God gives us the Holy Spirit to live out this Christian life and so now I can engage in a new behavior, a new lifestyle, and that legitimizes me. I am okay. Okay being imperfect. Okay having my struggles. I'm confessing my sins and I'm living for the Lord and I see progress in my life. Do you know why? Because I'm looking at the big picture. I'm not looking at all the stuff, Yellowstone, North Korea, any of those things. I'm not looking at them. They're interesting, but they're not taking up my attention. The big picture because it's God's picture and you and I are the central part of that picture because we belong to him. Amen? We're his children and he loves us. He loves us so much he can't take his eyes off us. That, that's what comforts me. And that's the big picture. And may you be comforted and blessed and may you be challenged because these are the days to get our lives cleaned and corrected as the Holy Spirit shows us, not as other people point out things to us necessarily, as the Spirit shows us. Father in heaven, thank you for your work of the Holy Spirit.
Thank you that we have a counselor, a guide who can speak into our hearts. Thank you that there's wonderful hope for growth and improvement. Thank you that even now, though, while we haven't improved very much, perhaps you love us so much you can't take your eyes off us. Thank you, Lord. Encourage this congregation, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.